Welcome, welcome everybody to the 58th week of the revival. Who's excited tonight? That's right. If you're not standing up, I want to go ahead and get you to stand up. We're going to read the scripture real quick, lay it on our hearts tonight. How many of you, just a show of hands, felt the presence of God when you came onto this property tonight? I thank you for being here. If you're watching online, ISN affiliates, we thank you for tuning in tonight. I believe God's going to do something supernatural. Supernatural. Come on, supernatural. Supernatural tonight. You should be excited. So we're going to read right now from Luke chapter 18, verse 35. I'll give you all some time to, to turn there real quick. Then it happened as he was coming near Jericho, a certain blind man sat down by the road begging. And hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. And then he told him Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth was passing by. And he cried out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. 39, then he, uh, and those who went before him warned him that he should be quiet. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Sometimes you got to silence your doubters in your life. And we're going to do that tonight. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he had come near, he asked him, saying, What do you want me to do for you? You need to ask yourself that question. What do you want Jesus to do for you tonight? And then he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And he immediately received his sight. And he followed him, glorifying God and all the people. You need to pay attention. All the people. The people that doubted. The people that didn't understand what he was doing. They were shifted and they worshiped. The people that are doubting you and doubting you tonight, when you release your cry to Jesus and you receive your healing tonight, either in that water or through this camera, in your home, in your car, it's going to shift your family, it's going to shift your friends, it's going to shift your co-workers, everybody is going to get a touch of God. And then when they saw it, gave praise to God. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father God, we thank you tonight. We thank you for your spirit and your presence in this place. God, we thank you for the open access we have to heaven tonight. We thank you for the blood of Jesus. We thank you for the sacrifice of the lamb, the word of our testimony. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. Come and have your way. We're just crying out tonight, Jesus, have mercy on me, son of David. We need changing. We need shifting. Open up our eyes to see. Let miracles happen in that water. Let them happen through that camera. Let them happen in this altar night. In Jesus' name, come forward and worship like you're crying out to him. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you. I was buried beneath my shame Who could carry that kind of weight? It was my tomb Till I met you I was breathing for 
Thank you. 
I need you here with me. 
room tonight are desperate for the Lord. And I know and I know that some of you are thinking this song in light of Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 where it says I will need never leave you nor forsake you. This is not what we're talking about. We know the Lord is with us. He never leaves us or forsakes us. But what we're singing about, Jacqueline Carr wrote this song whole premise was this. She says, God, I don't want you to be company in my life. You don't know how company comes and company goes. They'll come to your house and company goes. She wrote this song or she, I don't know who wrote it, but she made it famous a few years ago. And she said, Jesus, I don't want you to be like company. I want you to stay with me. 
to dwell, dwell in my home with me, to be in my car with me. And he never leaves us or forsakes us. But guys, there's something about an intimacy with the, with the Father. There's something about having that vibrant relationship with the Lord. We were in the midst of revival. This is week number 58. And our hunger tonight is as strong as it was on week one, week two, week three, week four. And I'll just play this song over and over and over in my office or in a prayer time or in my closet. And I'll just say, Lord, whatever you require of me, whatever you ask of me, whatever price you want me to pay, I will pay in order to have you the way I have you now. I would never go back to that cold, dry, dead, religion where church has become like a museum where all the Christian artifacts are on display and we read stories of what God used to do how he used to heal how he used to call the lame to walk the deaf to hear the blind to see I don't want church to be a museum of what God used to be. I want when people walk in our doors that they see a vibrant, come on now, genuine, real-time, in-person Savior that does what He did 2,000 years ago, that He's still walking among us. I don't want Jesus to visit us in this revival, nor your churches. So we're going to sing that in that light. Whatever you require of me, God, I'll give you. Whatever you ask of me, whatever price you want me to pay. I don't know what you got to do, but I want you to act in a, in a moment here as if it's just you and Jesus, and you're negotiating with him and say, Jesus, whatever you ask, I'm going to give it. Whatever you desire of me, I'm going to. I'm going to give it. Whatever price you ask me to pay, I will pay it. If you have to find you a spot, kneel on the floor. Those of you that are at home, pull off the side of the road, if you will. If you're driving in your automobile in a hotel room, find your bed. Make a place where you can make an altar. You see, this revival is not a healing revival. This revival is not... Any manifestation revival, it is a revival that has sought his face. And we said, Jesus, we want to behold your glory in this church. And we're not dignified. We don't care what protocol, what order of worship that we have. We're not here to entertain. We're here to go after him. And he's here tonight. But I want him to hear from the thousand plus people in this room tonight. That you know what? I'll do whatever you ask me to do. Whatever price you ask me to pay. Because I'm not interested in just company. I want a habitation. Let's sing this. Sing it from your heart. Kill all lights in the building, if you would, please. So I'll do whatever it takes. I need you here. All eyes on Jesus. Me. Doesn't matter how much it costs. Cause I need Sing. 
sing it from a broken heart. I lay down my will for you because I need you here with me. Come on, Pastor, let that be the cry of your heart. Whatever price. Give whatever you require of me because I need you thank you that you're in this house your manifest presence is here oh Jesus awaken this country revive your churches oh God 
Stimulate your men and women of God that are leading our churches, oh God. Turn the tables over, Jesus. Turn the tables over, Jesus. Come, take your church back, Jesus. Come on. Come, Jesus, take your church back. Oh, Jesus. Take your church back. <laughs> take your church back, Jesus. to us, Lord, in this house tonight. The Lord's going to deep. The Lord's going to do deep business tonight. He's going to do deep business tonight. It will be unlike any other service that we've had in 58 weeks. He's going deep business tonight. My Lord, let the lights come up. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. <laughs> Greet those people around you. Make them welcome. Tell them you're glad to see them at the North Georgia Revival tonight. Welcome to Dawsonville, Georgia. may be seated in the house just by a show of hands how many people do we have out of state tonight if you're from out of state raise your hand if you would wave it around my goodness gracious wow I'm just going to ask a very quick question from this section to my far left all at the count of three if you're from out of state shout the state that you're from ready one two three all right how about this section one two three all right, y'all, y'all did all right. How about this section? One, two, three. Everybody's home folk right here. Who's from out of state over here? Where are you from? Tennessee, Florida, Minnesota. This is your third week in a row from Minnesota. Come on. <laughs> have, you, have, you, have you come three weeks in a row? Four weeks? Three weeks, three out of four, driven 30 hours to get here. Come on, give them... Give them some support or some money for gas. Do something. Y'all need to take up an offering for them. In this section right over here, where are you guys from? Iowa, Kentucky, Florida, Alabama, New York. How about over here? Everywhere. Everywhere. 
Who has flown in from out of the country? Anybody has flown in from out of the country? Anybody, anybody from over here? Where are you guys from? Mexico. Wow. Our dear friends from Mexico. We're so glad that you are here. And there are hundreds of thousands of people watching us from around the world on the ISN Network right now. Would you welcome the ISN Network? Let them know you appreciate them. So glad that they're here. I want to take just a moment as we prepare for an offering. I want to just give you guys uh, a quick announcement that next Sunday night, uh, Pastor Lance Johnson, Pastor, would you stand to your feet? We'll be bringing the word next Sunday night. Nobody can preach like the big fella from Ranger, Georgia, I'm telling you. My goodness, so glad that you're going to be here with us preaching. Um, he hosted the revival here for the first 11 weeks. A glory God sat down in February uh, 2018, February the 11th. Uh, in January of that year, for those of you that don't know, I was in a time of fasting along with our church family. And about the 14th, the 17th day, somewhere around there with uh, our time of fasting, as a Southern Baptist pastor, I had never had an open vision in all my life. But I'm walking right about between the steps, between these two openings right here, or this opening, I'm walking right about here and I see our baptistry full of water. And it was empty in the natural, but in the vision I saw full of water and fire on the water. It was an eight to 10 second open vision that I saw. It was the first one I've ever had. And as soon as, soon as I saw that fire on the water, it was two and a half to three feet wide from front to back, from the, where the glass is all the way to the back wall. And the Lord spoke to me and he says, Todd, I'm gonna baptize people with Holy Spirit fire. I'm gonna baptize people with Holy Spirit fire had no idea the full extent of that and the full magnitude of what he was talking about but 58 weeks plus later I now know what he was referring to baptizing people with Holy Spirit fire every week our inbox fills up with documented miracles that people that had had lung cancer they go back to the doctor and it's completely gone, no spots, no cancer in their lungs. Come on, that's just happened in the last two weeks. Stage four breast cancer, stage three breast cancer. We've seen it over and over and over and over again. Cirrhosis of the liver. Doctors gave them a year to live. Gets baptized on a Wednesday night. We just so happened on that Wednesday night when they're driving up from Florida to go up to Ohio for vacation, they said, can y'all baptize us? Well, we didn't drain the tank. We always drained the tank back in the day. That water was stanky. It had been sitting in there since Sunday night with about 150 people getting baptized in it. Come on, y'all. And it just sat there, and I walked in that water on that Wednesday night, and it was kind of had that greeny look, that greeny look and smell. I said, dear Jesus, please don't let them smell this, this, this smell. Just overcome them with the Holy Ghost. They were so hungry and so desperate, they walked into the baptistry. Two people got baptized that night, I believe it was. And we just got a report that in December of this past year, that the cirrhosis of the liver was eradicated. Come on. And they said, 
Now, where's Miss Terry? Miss Terry, this was your, there you are. So this is a bona fide. This is your brother, or who was that? Your first cousin goes back to the doctor, and the doctor says, well, your liver just as good as your wife's liver. And just prior to that was diagnosed with cirrhosis of the liver. I'm wor- Hey, listen, we're, we're worshiping a God that is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he did it for him, if he did it for the breast cancer, he'll do it for you tonight as well. That's our prayer. That's our belief. My Lord. So I want to encourage you tonight to be ready to be met by him in the water. He's meeting his children in the water. He's going to do it again tonight. You may have to wait in line several hours. The longest someone had to wait is 10 and a half hours to be baptized. And they waited and waited and waited. We baptized until 5.30 to 6 o'clock in the morning. People got baptized. But I'm telling you, Jesus doesn't sleep. He doesn't need sleep. So at 6 in the morning, he met them in the water. His fire never gets extinguished. So whatever the time that you have to wait, it will be worth it. All right, now listen, patience. Two weeks ago, we about had a stampede. We almost had to have a healing line because five to 600 of you rushed the stage at one time, and y'all weren't very Christian. All right? You said, I'm going to get mine. I'm going to get touched tonight. And if it kills somebody because it ain't going to kill me, I'm going to have Jesus touch me. All right, here's how we're going to do it. Uh, we're going to have you come up on the stage. There'll be a line of 100, 150 to 200, 300 of you. You're going to receive a letter. Then you're going to be able to go back and be seated. So we're going to keep this orderly. But it is this section of stairs that we're going to go up first. All right, our speaker will help us with that in just a few moments. Does that make sense to everyone? Now, as you prepare for your offering, I want you to stand to your feet. I want to encourage you to go by the book table out at the back, and there's a book that I wrote called He Sat Down. I'm holding it in my hand. The reason I'm asking you to do this is because I believe that this was one of the foundational teachings that we had to have in our church in order to be able to host the presence of the Lord. Mark 16 says that Jesus sat down. Guess what he's doing today? He's still seated. He's not going to stand up to do the work that he's left us to do. I'm going to say it to this side over here. He's not going to come back, stand up to do the work that he left us to do. Somehow, somewhere in the church, we just believe that Jesus is going to get it done. I can never do what only God can do. I cannot walk across dry ground and split the seas. I, in my own flesh, can't cause the deaf to hear, the blind to see. I can't raise the dead in the power of my flesh. I can never do what only God could do. But listen to what I'm about to say. It's liberating. But God will never do what He has asked us to do. He will never do what He has asked us to do. He has transferred that responsibility to us. And if we don't do it, it doesn't get done. Jesus is not the mama that's going to come and make your bed for you. Wash your clothes and pick up after you. 
Five times in the New Testament, the Bible says he sat down. Only one time do we find him from Acts to the book of Revelation standing, and that is at the death of the martyr Stephen. That when Stephen was killed, the Bible says Jesus stood up. Other than that, he is seated. We got work to do. Grab this book. Our church got a hold of it and understood if there's going to be a move of God in our area, in our area, we've got work to do. Amen. Let's give tonight. Ushers, I know you're ready and prepared. Please help us in hosting this revival. It's about $3,000 a night that we have to be able to host the revival. We're getting ready to build changing suites somewhere between twenty dollars to $30,000. Good evening. That we're going to Welcome to the North Georgia Revival. We are celebrating the 58th week of the North Georgia Revival. Whether you're tuning in from Facebook Live or from the ISN Network, we are so glad that you're here. At this point of the service, we are transitioning and we are receiving an offering for the North Georgia Revival. We want to extend that opportunity to you, our online viewers, our online campus. So if you want to participate and sow into what God is doing here, we have two simple and easy ways. The first way is a text to give. That number is going to show up just below me. It's going to take two to three minutes to get that set up, and then you'll be able to text the amount that you want to give from here on out. The second opportunity for you to give is to write a check addressed to the North Georgia Revival. Mail that check to 139 Hightower Parkway, Dawsonville, Georgia, 30534. We are excited for a dynamic word tonight from Hunter. Next Sunday, as you heard Pastor Todd say, we are going to have Bishop Lance Johnson, so be sure to tune in for that. Lastly, 1 Chronicles 16.24 says to proclaim the amazing things that he has done. So will you share any praise reports that you have? And also be sure to share praise or prayer requests with us so we can take that to our intercessory team. Thank you for tuning in. Be sure to share this to show what God is doing to your friends and family. Let's get you back to the service. And so, Lord, we want to be excellent. So meet this need, oh Jesus. But God, more than anything, more than anything material, even if not one red cent comes in tonight, I beg of you, oh God. I beg of you, oh God. Meet your children in this desperate hour. it takes whatever you require of us we will do it for your glory in Jesus name and everybody said amen amen, amen. you may be seated in the house it is my honor tonight to be able to welcome to this platform his first time preaching at the North Georgia Revival Pastor Hunter Howard, I'll never forget in October of last year when he got baptized. Do we have a few of those pictures? Do we have a few of those pictures? All right. This is him and his precious wife, Liz. Liz, would you stand up? We love you. We really do. Come on, stand up, Pastor Liz. 
All right. This is them in the bullpen holding area, whatever area, whatever we want to call that. That is right before they get into the baptismal pool. So she's already erect. I don't know what he's doing. Pull up that next one, and I don't know how many we have. Pull that next one up. And, and so there they are. They're getting touched. And so I don't know if there's one more. The power of the Lord coming upon them. Is there one more? I don't know. Is there just one more? Yeah, there any others right there? Any more? You know, I'm telling you, is that all? That, listen, I'm telling you. Hey, I don't know how you got turned around. I tell people all the time, if I've ever seen anybody get drunk in the Holy Spirit in a split second, you did. You literally looked like you were on like a three-day drunk. I'm telling you, I'm not kidding you. Not that I would know that, but anyway... He pastors Encounter Church. Yeah. Yeah. One of the most dynamic young churches in the Atlanta area. And I remember when I first laid eyes on him and I said, my goodness, this guy's got the presence of God all over him. And I want you to help me welcome the lead pastor of Encounter Church, Pastor Hunter Howard to this platform. Come on, give it up for him. Obey the Holy Ghost. I don't have any idea what's about to happen. I do tend to be sensitive to the things of the Spirit, so if I just fall down on the stage, throw the mic to Liz, she's a better, better preacher than I am anyway. Whew. Help me, Jesus. Well, happy St. Patrick's Day. I don't mean to be silly or anything, but when Pastor Todd uh, told me, I want you to preach on March 17th, I'm like, oh, that's St. Patrick's Day. I should probably wear green or something, but... Not really, but it did, it got my attention, and I decided to look up and research a little on St. Patrick about a month ago, and uh, I don't know how many of you are familiar with St. Patrick, but he was a missionary uh, in the 5th century. He was a missionary to Ireland, which at the time was a total pagan nation, and uh, there's a lot of unknowns about St. Patrick. You know, everybody celebrates the luck of the Irish because of St. Patrick, but in reality, he was a missionary, and he literally helped to bring a pagan, the pagan nation of Ireland out of paganism and to Jesus. And he was known for doing miracles, signs, and wonders. But, but get this. When you, if you read up on St. Patrick, one of the things that it tells you that he did, that he was most known for, was for baptizing many thousands of people. So I thought we should call it Pastor Marty Day. Okay, sorry to be silly, but you know, how interesting, I believe tonight hundreds of people are going to be baptized after the thousands that have already been baptized, and I believe that as many of you go into the waters of baptism tonight, it's not about the water, it's about the fact that, let me tell you something, Jesus is in there. That's the only thing I know how to say, the only way I know how to describe it. But when you get, you don't even have to get to the water, even if you start getting close, he's right there. He's right, and you may be like, I didn't, I didn't get baptized, I just, straight down. You know, I never got dunked, I just, 
Anyway, I just want to say to, um, if you think maybe this is a little strange or a little odd or more like I don't really understand the whole baptism part of it, you know what? Me either, but let me just tell you something. If you are humble and you are hungry for him, you will do whatever it takes to get him. Even if that means you've already been baptized before. He said, why would I get baptized again? I've already been baptized. You know what? This is different. Just go in there and let him meet you. Amen? Let me just say uh, really quickly something that really overwhelmed me when I walked in tonight. And I want to see if I can do this and hold it together without, I already had my little cry fest there in the back. But um, I got, I grew up in a, in a church uh, called Statesboro New Covenant Church. Anybody even know where Statesboro is? Wow. It's near Savannah, for those of you that don't. And uh, back in the 90s, when the revival, uh, there, there was really a move of God in Toronto and Pensacola and Lakeland and all of these things were happening. And that move of God touched our little church there in Statesboro, and I was a teenager. And uh, God set my heart on fire for revival when I, was a, when I was a teenager in that church. And I walk in tonight and I see standing in the line, I think it's four or five of the elders of my church where I grew up 20 and 30 years ago and they're here tonight. There, there they are right there. Because it's time again for a move of God to sweep across our nation. And I believe that there are many teenagers and young people that are gonna be marked and set on fire for revival through this revival that are gonna carry it for decades in Jesus' name. I really just, okay, help me, Lord. That set me on a trajectory in many of Many of you know my story because a lot of you know me here tonight, but many of you don't. At the age of 18, I, I was just set on fire for souls, for missions, for the world. And so uh, at the age of 18, I moved to Mexico, to Chihuahua, Mexico. And did anybody know that there's a state called Chihuahua? And it's not named after the dogs, okay? The dogs are named after the state because that's where they came from. But Chihuahua is a state in Mexico. I lived there from 1999 to 2007, so for eight years. And what happened is that the revival that had been happening in the mid-90s here in the U.S. and in Canada hit Mexico in the late 90s and in the early 2000s. So I come out of this move of God in the mid-90s, and then I go as a missionary to Mexico, and for the next six, seven, eight years, there's just a move of God in Mexico. My heart burns for revival. I messed up. I'm absolutely messed up for what Pastor Todd keeps saying over and over, church as usual. There is no church as usual for me. All I want is him, I want his presence, I want his power, I wanna see his glory, I wanna see his name made famous for all the nations. Oh. It's my longing, my dream, it has always been to see and to be part of a new revival in this nation. And I just want to say a big thanks tonight. Uh, I want to say thank you to Pastor Don Allen because he called me up. Or we ran into each other sometime, I think, back in September, and he told me about this, and that's why I ended up showing up in October. 
and getting baptized and Jesus touching me the way that he did. But it's amazing how after meeting Pastor Todd and Karen just a couple of times, he said, I want you to come and preach. And I am just so grateful. I'm humbled and honored that he would trust me. This is a risk, y'all. They're taking a risk tonight. Thank you so much for letting me be part of this. Could you guys do me a favor before we jump into the meat of the message tonight? Would you help me pray for something real quick? Could we pray for 30 seconds? In 36 hours, Liz and I and a few others, we're going to head down to Cuba. And this will be the third time in 11 months that I've, um, I've been to Cuba. God is moving in Cuba, okay? That nation that had been closed for all these years there has been an underground movement of the gospel, and now over the past several years, there is a church planting movement, take, movement taking the island. And we've been down there working with uh, church planters in Cuba, and we're heading down there to, uh, Tuesday to believe for revival to break out and spread across. It's, it's, it's time for Cuba. I re really believe that it is the time of history. It is Cuba's day to see revival. Could you believe with uh, me that we could see this type of revival break out in Cuba as well? We could see hundreds and thousands, even millions of souls swept into the kingdom of God, even through the waters of baptism, amen? Come on, why don't you stand up and let's pray for 30 seconds for Cuba. Father, we thank you for what you're doing here in Dawsonville and in North Georgia. We thank you for what you're doing in our nation. Oh, Jesus, you came. You are the hope of all nations. Tonight, we declare you are the hope of Cuba. And we pray for these precious people that you would reveal yourself to that nation, that you would pour out your glory, that you would bust open the doors for the gospel, that you would bring supernatural, revolutionary, change to that nation through a revival, Lord, even in the midst of darkness. Let your light shine bright. Pour your spirit out on Cuba, we pray. In Jesus' name. Come on, if you can believe with me, can you say amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Whew. I want to talk to you tonight. The title of my message is Southpaw. Everybody say Southpaw. You know, back about 10 years ago, uh, Liz and I were in youth ministry for many, many years in Mexico and then in New Mexico. I attended a youth conference, and I'm thinking it was about nine or 10 years ago, and one of the speakers taught from Judges chapter three that we're gonna get, here, uh, get to here in a minute, and I remember that message being so powerful and how it, it really impacted our, our young people. We left that conference and going, wow, that was a great message, but I never really thought much about it ever again. Uh, I've, I've never really paid a lot of attention to Judges chapter 3, and I didn't have any notes from back then, but I think it was three weeks ago when uh, Billy Humphrey was here, and I was sitting there, and yes, I was that guy, the first one to scream and fall on the ground in the middle and all that when the Holy Spirit started moving, and as I fell on the ground, I literally felt the Lord like breathe this message into, in, into me, and so tonight I'm going to do my very best to express what I feel like God spoke to me that night. Just by a show of hands, who in here is right-handed? Would you raise your right hand if you're right-handed? Yeah, that's about what I thought. How about our southpaws? Statistically speaking, it's about one in 11 people, 
okay? About one in 11 people are left-handed. They're not strange, right? Maybe some are. But they are uncommon. And they have to do things a little bit unconventionally because the world is basically a right-handed world, right? Pretty much everything is made for, for, for those of us that are right-handed. And I really believe the Lord is calling the church to something new and unconventional. In fact, what's happening here at the North Georgia Revival is very unconventional, right? It, it is from what we know the first time you could ever call something a baptismal revival. It's different. Come on, somebody say different. different. Uncommon, unconventional. Now, as we go to Judges chapter 3, just a little bit of background there, really quick, you know, the, the great generation that Joshua led into the promised land and Jericho and, and conquering, you know, the, the, the land and all of that. And then after Joshua and the generation of, the, of, of leaders that were with Joshua passed away, we begin to read about something pretty upsetting. We begin to see generations of the people of God, but that are not acting like the people of God. They start becoming unfaithful and increasingly more and more unfaithful to God as the generations pass. But every once in a while, they cry out to God for help, and God will raise up something called a judge, right, to come and rescue them. And we're going to read about one of them tonight. Come on, somebody say South Paul. Judges chapter 3, verses 12 through 30. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. If you want to follow along, once again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. And the Lord gave King Eglon, everybody say Eglon. Eglon. King Eglon of Moab control over Israel because of their evil. Eglon enlisted the Ammonites and Amalekites as allies. And then he went out and defeated Israel. Sad day, right? He defeated Israel. Taking possession of Jericho. That was theirs, y'all. Think about that. That was the, the city of Palms. And the Israelites served Eglon of Moab for 18 years, like a whole generation of people. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, the Lord again raised up a rescuer, say rescuer, to save them. And his name was Ehud. Everybody say Ehud. Ehud was the son of Gera, and he was a left-handed man from the tribe of Benjamin. Come on, somebody say South Paul. Isn't that interesting? Like who, why, why would we care if he was right-handed or left-handed, right? I don't normally go around asking people if they're right-handed or left-handed. But the Bible, you know, God thought it was important for us to know that he was left-handed, the Israelites sent Ehud to deliver their tribute money to King Eglon of Moab. So Ehud made a double-edged dagger. It's a dagger. It was about a foot long, and he strapped it to his what? Right thigh. Come on, everybody say, left hand, right thigh. You know, my church is about 80% very, very young people, so I make them move and get up and down and talk a lot, all right? Would you mind standing up real quick? Just one more time. Stand up, if you can. I want you to raise up your left hand and go to your right thigh. That, that's not normal, is it? 
oh, that stretch is pretty good, though. <laughs> that's, that's unconventional. That, that wouldn't be, if I were left-handed, I would not put the dagger on my right thigh. All right, you can sit down. Come on, say left hand, right thigh. Keeping it hidden under his clothing. And he brought the tribute money to Eglon, who was very fat. We'll get to that in a minute. After delivering the payment, Ehud started home with those who had helped carry the tribute. But when Ehud reached the stone idols near Gilgal, he turned back. He came to Eglon and said, I have a secret message for you. So the king commanded his servants, be quiet. And he sent them out of the room. And Ehud walked over to Eglon, who was sitting in the cool upstairs room. And Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. As King Eglon rose from his seat, Ehud reached with his left hand and pulled out the dagger strapped to his right thigh. See, it's not normal or easy to do. I'm not going to hurt anybody, I promise. But let me try that again. I just want you to see. He was left-handed, and he had to make a pretty big effort. I'm sure he had to practice, actually, way more than I did to be able to do that, right? He took his left hand, but he pulled it. He pulled the dagger from under his clothing from his right thigh. And he plunged it into the king's belly. The dagger went so deep that the handle disappeared beneath the king's fat. So Ehud did not pull out the dagger, and the king's bowels emptied. Somebody say, ew. Then Ehud closed and locked the doors of the room and escaped down the latrine. Ew again. After Ehud was gone, the king's servants returned and found the doors to the upstairs room locked. And they thought he might be using the latrine in the room, so they waited for him to come out of the bathroom, right? But when the king didn't come out long, after a long delay, they began to get concerned, and so they got a key. And when they opened the doors, they found their master dead on the floor. While the servants were waiting, Ehud escaped passing the stone idols on his way to Sarah and when he arrived in the hill country Ehud, uh, of Ephraim, Ehud sounded the call to arms and he led a band of Israelites down from the hills. Follow me, he said. Follow this left-handed guy. For the Lord has given you victory over Moab, your enemy. So they followed him. And the Israelites took control of the shallow crossings of the Jordan River across from Moab, preventing anyone from crossing. They attacked the Moabites and killed about 10,000 of their strongest and most able-bodied warriors. Not one of them escaped, so Moab was conquered by Israel that day, and there was peace in the land for 80 years. Come on, somebody, give God glory for his victory tonight. Let's say Southpaw. I want to talk to you just a little bit about innovation committed to holiness. Innovation committed to holiness. Fat Eglon represents the heavy oppression the enemy has brought on the people of God. 
To me, it is amazing. Church is amazing today. And again, I've heard Pastor Todd and others of the pastors who've, who've preached here to say how incredible it is to, to go to our churches. The ch our churches where people have come for a generation. And again, they've sat under our teaching. That we've prayed for them. We've done all this stuff. We've taught them all these principles. But they're addicted. They're oppressed. They're sick. They're extremely immoral. Hopeless. Depressed. It's a heavy oppression that the enemy brings when we allow it. And this has been the church for quite some time. There is a fat, heavy oppression on the people of God. And listen, the only reason Eglon had any authority to oppress God's people was because of their sin tolerance. The devil can't just oppress the people of God. He can't just do it. He can't just go, I'm the devil, so I'm going to oppress the people of God. He doesn't have the authority to oppress us because we are seated with Christ at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places. The enemy can't just come put some big fat oppression on God's people. There has to be an open door for that oppression. And just like in Judges chapter 3 in 2019, there's been an open door for the oppression of the devil on the church for many years. And it's called tolerance for sin. I didn't come here tonight to condemn anybody or hurt anybody's feelings. What I want to share with you comes from the love of God that burns for his people. Just like Pastor Todd just prayed, Jesus, take your church back. He's here to take us back tonight. He's here to set us free from that heavy oppression of the enemy. The devil can't just oppress us, but he definitely, most definitely will oppress us when we tolerate, embrace, justify, and practice worldliness. He will most definitely come to oppress if we do that. But Ehud was left-handed. He was a southpaw. I'm getting way ahead of myself, but let me tell you, Pastor Todd and Karen, that's some left-handed folks right there. To be, wi to be willing to let this happen and just say, it's different and I love it. Come on, somebody. It's different and I love it because it's you, Lord. It's unconventional. It's not what we're used to. It's not what we see often. But God is doing it. See, left-handed, the southpaw, represents a different unconventional person or a different way of doing church, a different way of doing things. It's an uncommon spirit and it's an uncommon strategy. A new, unexpected move of God through people you might not expect. Or in a little town you might not have expected. Bethlehem was left-handed. Dawsonville's left-handed. It's different. It's unexpected. 
Unconventional. Let me get my dagger sheath out of the back of my pocket before I drop it. All right. Not church as usual. I mean, how many times have we said that? Every service, right? It's not church as usual. It's a revival. It's a supernatural move of the Holy Spirit. And you know what it's for? This revival is to rescue God's people from the oppression of fat Eglon that's been upon the church. It's a new generation, and when I say generation, I'm not just talking about the young people. Come on, somebody. Because a lot of times people preach about this. It's a revival. It's for the young people. It's for the young, for the old, for the babies, and for the 99-year-olds. This revival is for anybody who's willing to say, I'll be left-handed. I'll be different. I'll be uncommon. I'll be unconventional. And I don't care because it's him. But he strapped his dagger to the right thigh. Come on, touch your right thigh. You can just stay seated, but just touch it. Does that bring back any memories of anything if you've read the Old Testament? What's that? It's a covenant. Not just any covenant. It is a commitment to the holiness of God. The ways of God. I'll do it, it, a commitment to God in his ways. That's why it wasn't just, oh, let's just make a covenant. No, no, no. You got to do something to show it. Okay? And the right hand, I'm sorry, the right thigh was the place of covenant. Now, <sighs> Jesus. blood of Jesus has cut the covenant. We're forgiven, but we're not just forgiven. His blood sets us free from the authority and the oppression of sin, and we don't have to live under the authority and the oppression of sin anymore. That's called holiness. Everybody say holiness. holiness. Holiness is not what most people think. It's not wearing long dresses and not wearing any makeup. Come on, somebody. You can wear long dresses and wear or not wear makeup. I don't care. Nor does God. Holy, holiness isn't a style. Holiness is not a way of talking. Holiness is not a certain church. Holiness is a covenant with God to live in the freedom from sin that the, that the blood of Jesus provided for us. If I don't pursue the covenant of holiness, I am despising the blood of Jesus Christ. Without holiness, no one can see God. And that's not just talking about heaven, y'all. Jesus' holiness gets us into heaven. But if we want to see God here in our midst, in our lives, in our families, and in our churches, we got to pursue holiness, and we're going to see him. This revival is left-handed, but let me tell you, I've heard again and again, week after week, there's holiness. There's holiness. There's a commitment to righteousness. 
Even though Ehud was different, he was left-handed, he was still committed to the call of holiness, the traditions, the doctrines, the teachings of his fathers. Obedience. Come on, maybe you want to say it's a new method, but the same message, right? It's a different perspective on how to get things done, but the same perspective on the standards of the holiness of God. Come on, let's do it again. Let's say left hand, right thigh. I'm sure it didn't come easy. I'm sure he had to practice. In church, you One of the biggest movements in church today is how we can make it more convenient for people. Listen, I'm not saying we need to have big old long services where it's insensitive and, you know, you know what I'm saying? I'm not saying we need to do things in a way that aren't sensitive to people. But this isn't supposed to be convenient. The cross of Jesus Christ isn't convenient. Christianity isn't a call into something convenient. It's not supposed to be easy or sexy, y'all. I bet he had to intentionally practice again and again how to pull that thing out. I'm telling you, doing church like this, it's not easy or convenient, but it is worth it all. Like we sang and prayed, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll do whatever it takes for you to be here, for your glory, for your presence to manifest like it is, and for it to increase more and more. I'll do whatever it takes. I'll be left-handed, but I'll, I'll be committed to pulling it from the right thigh. I'll be committed to holiness. I'll be committed to doing whatever it takes to do church different, but to deal to, still do church holy. God is raising up. I'm not here to say he's going to. God is raising up a new group or generation of people who are rejecting dead, stale religion, and they're seeking something new. They're seeking something different. And this is all to rescue a generation. It's all about rescuing our city. It's all about rescuing our nation in a generation like Ehud and Although this group of people are open to doing things different, we're committed to God's holy standards of living. And I believe people in this room and people that come to this revival, everybody being touched by what God is doing, we're gonna be rescuers and we're gonna see multitudes of souls, even millions of new souls come into the kingdom through this move of the Spirit in our day. You say, is this a revival led by the millennial generation? I've heard people kind of incorrectly prophesy that, and I truly believe many millennials are part of, of leading this, but it's not about your age. Just because you're younger, that doesn't mean you're special. And I say that at a pastor of a, a very young church. Just because you're younger doesn't mean you're special. God didn't, uh, Paul didn't tell Timothy, you know, to, to, to not let people despise him because he was younger. He told him not to despise him because he was an example of holiness. It's not about a specific people group. It's about anyone who's willing to be left-handed. 
to do things different, but be committed to holiness. What, here's the definition of a dagger. A dagger is a small, double-edged sword, just like what's described in Hebrews 4.12. So when we talk about the sword in Hebrews 4.12, a better translation of the word sword is like a surgeon's dagger, okay? It's not a big, huge, long sword like a lot of times that we think of the word, right? It's, it's a weapon you can keep on you even hidden like Ehud, right? And when the moment comes and you need it, for the word of God is alive and powerful, it's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword or dagger, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. The word of God is a dagger. In Revelation chapter one, we encounter Jesus with a thundering voice, burning eyes, and what's coming out of his mouth? A two-edged sword, a dagger's coming out of his mouth. Now, something I find really cool and really important for us to get is it said that Ehud made his dagger. He didn't borrow somebody else's dagger. He made his own dagger. You must have your own revelation of the Word of God and your own relationship with the Word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're going to make it and if you're going to kill King Eglon. If you're just living off what, off what everybody else says, what you hear from your pastor, what you hear every Sunday night at the revival or your small group or good Lord forbid off YouTube or every blog and podcast out there, a lot of it's a bunch of nonsense. A lot of it is great, by the way, sorry. I didn't mean, a lot of it is awesome. But be careful because somebody else's revelation We'll do nothing for you except inspire you in the moment of battle. You can be inspired by other people's revelation, but you've got to have your own if you're going to take it and use it. Plus, in a sense, the dagger represents the cross of Jesus. What do I mean? It's the dagger to circumcise the heart and cut covenant with God. Because the cross cuts away our sinful nature and rolls away the shame of worldliness. The Bible says that. We need to not only let the word of God, the cross of Jesus, the, the word and the cross, the cross and the word. Come on, somebody say the word and the cross. The cross and the word. The cross cuts covenant, cut covenant with God. And when we come to the cross, the Bible says our heart is circumcised. The, the, the flesh is taken away. The sinful nature is cut away. But the cross also, the Bible says it rolls the worldliness away, the shame of worldliness. We don't have to live under the shame of worldliness any longer. Before... I can use the dag dagger to kill the enemy. 
I got to first let the dagger cut me. I'll say, cut me, Lord. Cut my heart. Plow the ground of my heart. Some of you need to pray this right now. I can feel the wonderful gift of conviction in the room. Conviction and repentance is a wonderful gift from God. It's not to point his finger at us and condemn us. It is him beckoning us into covenant, into closeness with him. Let the cross and the word cut you. Pastors, don't be afraid to use the dagger. Preach the cross. It isn't popular, it isn't convenient, it isn't easy, it doesn't feel good to the flesh, but we had better preach the cross of Jesus Christ for what it is and the full counsel of God's word if we are going to make any sort of progress in rescuing a generation from the fat oppression of Eglon. Use the word. Don't be afraid. Now, as I start getting close to ending this here, I want to speak very specifically. How many of you consider yourself from Generation X? Oh, goodness, just a couple of us. All right. Got any millennials in the house? Okay. How about Gen Z? My little girl should raise her hand. Okay. All right. Are y'all with me? Listen, this is, this, is out of the, this is the love of God speaking to you. The spirit of Eglon has infiltrated the church in our generation. So I've watched it happen. I left as a missionary in 1999, a thriving, vibrant, holy, ghost, fire church. I came back eight years later, and literally I was like, what happened? I don't mean my low, but what happened to the church? Where did holiness go? It's almost like it was a extreme, you know, there was such an extreme legalistic holiness thing that holiness got rejected altogether, and we started excusing and embracing and tolerating some straight-up nonsense in the church. And we need an army of left-handed ehuds to take out the spirit of Eglon in the church today. I feel like diving off the stage into the altar myself right now. <sighs> Don't tempt me. 
Come on, I'm just gonna read it like I wrote it because I was right, I felt such love in my heart when I was writing this because it doesn't sound very loving what I'm about to say, but I feel so much love as I say it. Listen, it's fine if you want to listen to different music styles, be vegans, drink free trade coffee, dye your hair a dozen colors, get in shape, grow long beards, wear holy skinny jeans and long shirts, use buzzwords, be obsessed with tolerance and social justice, etc., etc. but it will not ever be okay to smoke, get drunk, live with your boyfriend, practice and excuse homosexuality. It will never be, it will never be okay. Come on, let me, let me say that again. It will never be all that style, all that different left-handed stuff, that's all good and well. You look at my church on Sunday morning, and it's all kinds of different colors of hair and, and everything, right? But let me tell you something. It isn't, it never has been, and it never will be okay. Come on, I want you to hear this specifically. Because what I wrote here, I've watched it. These are specific things I've been observing in the church. It is not okay to smoke, get drunk, live with your boyfriend or girlfriend outside of marriage, practice and excuse homosexuality, be addicted to pornography like it's normal, use curse words, and, and, and I'm sorry for this one, but not really, because some of you need to be set free. It is not okay to take sexy pictures of yourself and post them online for everybody to see. shows that's awesome that's amazing cool great I admire you you're awesome but let me just tell you something every picture you post on social media there are hundreds of eyes looking at your body stop it I hope I didn't make you angry and if I did I hope you're so angry you repent I love y'all. Come on, no, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Don't try to play it off like, oh, it's just normal. Normal ain't godly. Godly is abnormal. No matter how normal these things are in this generation, this lifestyle will never be acceptable for the people of God. You had better add some old school convictions to your hipsterness or you're gonna be in trouble sooner or later. I'm trying to be done because we need to get over here in the water. We are not to be like the world. We're to win the world. Last time I checked, Jesus didn't try to be like anybody to win people into his heavenly kingdom. 
He just did all kinds of miracles and he taught the truth and like and turned over tables and all kinds of stuff that wasn't necessarily a popular thing to do. And all he did was say, y'all follow me. It was an invitation. He didn't go around trying to convince everybody into some convenient religion that'll make you feel good. He said, I'm going to the cross and you're gonna have to take your cross if you're gonna follow me. Lord, I'm spitting all over the place. It's a lot of light up here, Jesus. Come on, let me just say this. I'm, I'm, I promise, I'm trying. Relevance is overrated. If the only noticeable difference between you and the world is the name of Jesus, you are missing the mark. Come on, let's just say, holiness over relevance. Come on, say it again. Holiness over relevance. If you're ever in a situation where you have to choose between holiness and relevance, choose holiness. This whole relevant movement, I don't see a lot of people getting born again. I see a lot of people going to a bunch of churches that are comfortable and easy and nice and all that. And again, please, I mean, I don't mean anything by that about anybody or any church. I love all the churches in Atlanta, okay? Many are doing amazing things, but let me just say, we gotta be careful how easy we make it for people. We're not trying to make it hard. In reality, if you just preach the gospel, that's all there's needed. The cross is everything. Come to the cross of Jesus. Let him cut away the worldliness and the shame of worldliness be rolled away. Cut a covenant. Be as different as you want. Be left-handed. Be unconventional. Be uncommon. But you had better grab the dagger from your right thigh. Be committed to the standards found in the Word of God. The problem is we're toler tolerating and even participating in the very things we're called to deliver people from. The problem is we are tolerating and even participating in the very things we're called to deliver a generation from. The problem is we are tolerating and even participating in the very things we're called to deliver our generation from. The problem is we are tolerating and even participating in the very things we're called as the people of God to deliver a generation from. And I know this is simple. Stop it. Stop excusing and tolerating things that you, and even in public, say, I'm going to be used by God to heal people and deliver people and put people out of it. And in the dark and when, when nobody else is looking, you're doing the same stuff, looking at the same junk. Exactly. 
have mercy. Deliver us, God. Raise up the spirit of Ehud. I believe we're called back to the covenant of holiness so that we can be used as mighty deliverers. Come on, Ephesians 5, 10, and 11. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. That doesn't mean you go around pointing your finger at everybody and judging people. No, it means you live a life that's so bright because of holiness that your light shows the darkness. And it calls people out of darkness into like three specific calls for this. I could preach another hour on this, but I'm not going to. Number one, three specific things, radical purity. Number one, radical purity. I didn't say purity, I said radical purity. Because that's what I see in the word of God. The Bible says that we should always honor marriage. And I know we shouldn't have to say this in church, but let me say it because unfortunately we gotta say it. Any form of sexual activity outside of the covenant relationship of marriage is breaking God's design and plan. It's called sin. But we're gonna get married. Get yourself out of their house and out of their bed until you say, I do. All of y'all boyfriends and girlfriends, stop it. I was a youth pastor for way too long, so pardon me. Quit. Use your tongue to pray in tongues. We need to embrace a total rejection of the modern sexuality movement. The only true sexuality, let me, let, maybe this is going to help somebody in here, somebody watching. God made you a sexual person, but he made it with a plan, and that plan is marriage. It's the only plan, it's the only way to express your sexuality. And by the way, God's definition of marriage is the only definition of marriage because he invented marriage. One man, one woman, in covenant together forever. Number two, because I have one minute. If not, I'm not going to ever be invited back to preach. Number two, fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord. Church, we've lost the fear of the Lord. You want to know how? I walk into worship services, and in the middle of lifting up the name of the creator of the universe, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, people got their phones out filming their worship team to post it on social media to show everybody how cool their church is. I know we're on Facebook Live before service started and I clicked share. Okay, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm thankful for technology, but when it's time to be in his presence and hear his word, when your pastor is preaching or when we're in praise and worship, put that thing down or turn it off and turn your eyes to Jesus. 
We got to get back to reverence and awe. We got to remember who we're worshiping. Who is it? Treat God's presence like God's presence. <sighs> Number three, sacrifice. Somebody blinked. I'm sorry. All right. Number three, sacrifice. Sacrifice. Christianity will never be, just bear with me, this, I promise this is it. It'll never be sexy. It'll never be cool. It'll never be convenient or easy. It means death to self. That's Christianity. The cross giving my absolute all for his cause. It isn't and it'll never be. You know what? It was already all about me. Jesus went and hung on the cross and died. He spilled his blood to forgive me, to set me free from sin, to adopt me into the family for God to be my father. But the call to follow Jesus, the call to discipleship, isn't meant to be fun. It is the greatest adventure, absolutely. I am thrilled to go to Cuba the day after tomorrow because I love going to the nations and preaching the gospel. Sometimes it's fun, but let me tell you, following Jesus in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, it's not, it is not going to go, it is going to go against the grain, against the flow. Sacrifice. Not my way. I take up the cross I take up his way. I lay my way down. I stop insisting on my way, and I follow his way. Come on, worship team. Y'all can just tell you Jeremiah 6, 16 says, this is what the Lord says. Stop at the crossroads and look around. Stop at the crossroads and look around. We are at a crossroads in our generation, in our nation but we're first of all at a crossroads in the church of Jesus Christ. Stop at the crossroads and look around. And then it says, ask for the old godly way and walk in it. Travel its path and you'll find rest for your souls. But you reply, no. That's not the road we want. Unfortunately, that's been many of the church's response. Come on, would you just close your eyes for a moment? We're done. Restore me. Restore me to the ancient way of holiness, God. To the standards of your word. We stand before you tonight so imperfect. We're so deeply needy because holiness isn't something we can produce. It's something that you can give. It's the fire of your holiness, God. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of fire. Your fire that imparts your holiness in us, Jesus. 
on, even as I'm praying this, I feel, I just feel like some of you need to get on your knees, whether it's in your seat here at the altar or whatever. But some of us need to respond to this. You need to respond. You know that you have been tolerating and excusing sin, worldliness, and you're at a crossroads tonight and you need to look around and say, I'm going to go the old godly way. I'm coming back to the old godly way. Which way will you choose? Come on, I'm not here to rebuke you into repentance. I'm here to call the church of 2019, going into 2020. We're called to be the, a new generation of Ehuds. Unconventional, progressive, left-handed, but a total commitment to old school holiness. We're going to follow your word. And we're going to follow the examples of our fathers, God. Our fathers in the faith. Jesus. He's here. And he's wonderful. I remember the day the conviction of the Holy Spirit got a hold of me. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I literally got down and I crawled under the pew of my church because I knew God was a holy God. He was calling me to live a holy life. And I've been marked by that call, by that commitment, by that covenant to pursue His holiness. And tonight, some of you need to respond to that. First of all, some of you need to be born again. Some of you need to be born again. Stop playing games. Even some of you that come to church every week, you need to be born again. You may be new to church. You may be in church all the time, but you're not born again. You've never repented of your sins and turned away and turned your life fully over to Jesus Christ. And right now is your now. Tonight is your night. This is your moment to be born again. There's no magical prayer I can pray for you. It's got to be real in your heart. Surrender all to Jesus tonight. Come to the cross of Jesus Christ. Let him cut away your sinful nature. Let him roll away the shame of worldliness. Come to Jesus tonight. Make your decision. And then in a few minutes, don't you come running yet. But if you make a decision tonight to follow Jesus and are born again, you better come up here in this water and proclaim it for all the world to know. <sighs> come on, just there in your seats. If tonight... Maybe you just, everyone, bow, bow your head and close your eyes because this is not something that somebody else can decide for you. This is your decision. It's personal. If you need to be born again tonight, if you need to get right with God, would you just slip your hand up and down really quick? I just want to see who you are so we can pray with you. Okay, who else? Praise God for those. That, okay, who else says I need to be born again? Come on, just right there in your seat, call out to him. Jesus, save me. Jesus, forgive me. 
Jesus, I trust in what you did on the cross for me. I believe you died for me. You shed your blood for me, Jesus, tonight. I repent and I turn my life over to you. Save me, Jesus. And some here tonight need healing. You know, this baptismal revival is very left-handed. It's very unconventional. We've been seeing people go in the water and be physically healed. We've also been seeing people go in the water and get delivered from addictions and stuff. And I, this is what I really felt in my heart preparing for this. Some need to really be delivered tonight in the water and at the altar or wherever. But there is a great need for deliverance in the house tonight. And you might be a church person, but you're addicted, you're depressed, you're oppressed, you're living an immorally sexual life, sexually immoral life. And tonight, you don't just need to repent, you need to be delivered. And the power of the gospel is to bring deliverance. The power of the Holy Spirit is tonight to set you free. I heard the Lord say, many need deliverance from worldliness so they can be my friend. Many in my church need deliverance from worldliness so they can be my friend. So come, and we go into the water tonight, come die in the water. Come die, for real, die to your old self. Die to that addiction. Die to that immorality. I even feel like some of you need to publicly confess some things. Rather, it's in the water or in a few minutes here at the altar. But the Bible says that people came to John the Baptist and they confessed their sins when they were baptized. There's such power in confession. Maybe you need to confess tonight. I want to ask if Pastor Todd will just come and join me here. There's also going to be prayer at the altar. And if he can't come, that's fine. Because <laughs> I feel like Oh, Jesus, here we go. I remember what God did in me when I got baptized in October, and then I would come back and say, what else, Lord? What else, Lord? I've already been in the water. Do I need to go in again? I will if I need to. I'll do whatever it takes. And he's very specially in the water, but let me tell you, I feel his glory in the whole room tonight. He's here to touch you. You may have already been baptized. That doesn't mean it's over for you. There's more for you tonight. There's more for you in his presence. I just want to follow what I feel the Holy Spirit doing. If you need to be born again, you raise your hand. Come on up here. It was at least a dozen of you. Just come on up. If you need to be born again, just come on up. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, if you need to be born again, just come up here and face the front. We need our pastors and our prayer leaders to come help out here. I know in just a moment we're going to have people come up this to my right for baptism. But over here to the left, if you're here tonight and, and you're not maybe not going to get in the water or you're going to get in the water later or whatever, but you want to respond to the word tonight. And you say, I want to I say yes to holiness. 
I want to say yes to the whole, to the covenant of holiness, to follow God and pursue holiness. This isn't about perfection. This is about a pursuit of His holiness. I heard the Holy Spirit say this week, the fire of my holiness will be available Sunday night. The fire of my holiness will be available. And if you want a touch of the fire of God's holiness, come on over here to the left. Oh, Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Baptizer in the Holy Spirit. Baptizer in the Holy Spirit and fire. Tonight we ask for your fire upon every single person. For those that are going to go into the water. For those that are being born again. For those that are here simply saying, yes, I say yes to pursue holiness. I thank you that your fire is here. Your fire, the fire of the Holy Spirit is here to burn up the dross and bring forth the gold. The fire of the Holy Spirit is to bring forth the holiness of Jesus to the people of God. Come on, just lift your hands and begin to receive. You don't necessarily need anybody to lay hands on you. We'll do that in a minute. But the baptizer in fire is Jesus. And he's here. Just lift your hands and receive. Doesn't matter how much it costs. Cause I need you here with me. Very quietly and quickly, those of you that are wanting to be baptized tonight, I want you to come this way through these steps and just come. And Tom's going to lead you right there very quietly, cordially, respectfully. Come from all over the building. We're waiting. We're going to pray for these over here that need the fire of holiness in their life. Keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. We're not in any hurry. We'll be here all night because we know Jesus is going to touch you. My Lord, you're going to get a letter. Then you're going to be able to sit back down. You're going to get a letter. We'll call that letter out when it's time for you to come and make preparations to get baptized. We're going to take the first 20 or 25, then the rest of us will come. In the sequence of your letter, he's here tonight. How many of you can testify and know that he is here tonight? What a word from the man of God tonight. What a word from the man of God tonight. The Lord has spoken. The stake is in the ground tonight. Come on, let's worship the Lord as people are coming to be baptized. Come on, let's sing, Christian. Come on, let's worship Him. I lay down my will for you. Come on, we'll wait. We'll be here all night for you. I need you here with me. Come on, let's worship him right now. Whatever it takes, whatever it takes, whatever it costs. To keep you. 
If you guys can assist us, Bishop, Lisa, if y'all would come, stand right here. We're going to pray for people. People need prayer. The power of God is moving. About five to ten minutes, we'll be ready to baptize. But until then, we're ministering here at the altar. We'll minister all night, praying for folks, encouraging people. 